1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com. The Sexually Liberated Woman podcast gets love from ShockRubs. ShockRubs makes beautiful handcrafted sexual wellness products from 100% Pure Crystal. Crystals are a natural, earth-made material that help to awaken higher levels of consciousness, work through emotional imbalances, and heal deep core wounding. Take all of that, put it in sex toy form, and you've got yourself a mighty orgasmic tool. I have my own chakra that's made of 100% rose quartz, which is this really beautiful soft pink-colored crystal that helps me cultivate self-love, opens my heart chakra, and heightens my capacity to feel pleasure. And my orgasms are incredible. So if you want to bring sacredness and a little witchiness to your erotic life, head to shockrubs.com and use the code LIBERATION to get 10% off your purchase. That's C-H-A-K-R-U-B-S dot com promo code LIBERATION. And may your orgasms be plentiful. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sexually Liberated Woman Podcast. I'm Evian Whitney, and unfortunately, I have to start off today's episode with some bad news. I have some good news too, but I'll give you the bad news first. Okay, so the bad news, this is the last episode of the Sexually Liberated Woman Podcast, I know, I don't want it to be true either. This podcast has been a lot of fun for me, but it's also been a lot of work. I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this before, but I don't have a team helping me with this project. There are no editors or producers or directors. There's not even an official recording studio. I actually do all of this by myself. The interviewing the editing the producing the social media management all of this is done in my apartment in portland somewhere between the calls i have with my clients and the workshops i facilitate throughout the week so yeah needless to say it's been a lot of work for me and that's exactly why i'm going to be taking a little break i really want to honor my creative cycles which are this close to being in hibernation mode And I really want to take care of myself. But the good news is that this break is temporary. I will definitely be coming back sometime next year, bringing you more conversations on sex and erotic empowerment. So please stay tuned and thanks so much for helping support my self-care. Seriously, you are amazing and I love you forever for listening to my little podcast. Oh, and I have some more good news for you. Today's episode is amazing. So in my last episode, I talked to trauma specialist Rachel Maddox about the physiology of sexual trauma, the way sexual trauma works and shows up physically in our bodies, which was really interesting. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, you definitely should. But anyway, that conversation kind of sparked this other curiosity in my mind about what it looks like to both heal and come to a place of sexual liberation after trauma. This curiosity has been the basis of my life's work, both as a survivor myself and as a healer. I started my blog, Sex Love Liberation, as a way for me to chronicle and make sense of my sexual liberation journey after violation and trauma. And since then, I've always been really curious about how other women have found their way to erotic empowerment. And that's where my friend Sheena comes in. Sheena Lachey is a writer and an artist who uses sensuality and spiritual eroticism to inspire women to realize the truth of who they are. She's an incredible erotic dancer who uses the pole and striptease as methods for sexual healing and claiming. She's also a survivor in every sense of the word, and because I'm pretty familiar with her story, which you'll hear in a moment, I wanted to sit down with her and get a glimpse of what her road to healing looked like after years of sexual abuse. And we don't just talk about the hard stuff. We talk a lot about how she uses erotic dance as a way to explore her sexuality. We talk about how she was able to find safety in the pleasure of her own body again, And Sheena shares with us some of her conversations she's had with her lovers that have helped her find pleasure and sex. Sheena has one of the most inspiring stories I've ever heard when it comes to sexual healing. The way she was able to uncover and reclaim her erotic power after trauma is nothing short of magical. I really, really hope you enjoy our conversation and that her story is as medicinal for you as it was for me. Oh, and one last thing before we get started. In this conversation, we're going to be touching on topics of rape and sexual violation. We won't be going into graphic detail about it, but if you feel like hearing a survivor's story might be too triggering for you right now, definitely take care of yourself and save this episode for another time. Okay, let's get into it. So Sheena, you are a pole dancer, a sensual woman, a pleasure seeker, but I get the sense that it hasn't always been that way for you, and I would love to know how you got here to this point, like where you were before, and how you happen to be here today.
3: in my early 20s, I was a completely different person. I was... um, I was like one drink away from being an alcoholic. And I was complacent dating men that I didn't even care about or wanted. Um, I was depressed and suicidal. I had an eating disorder. Um, I, I was a different person then, and part of the reason that I was that person was because as a child, for seven years of my life, um, I was a victim of sexual abuse. Mm. And that along with other traumas that I had experienced, whether it was a death in the family or losing a friend, all those things um, culminated into me being like a shadow of myself from like my teenage years up into the early 20s. And It is, I I was speaking with a friend just the other day about this. It is insanely wonderful to see and be who I am right now because I've come a very long way.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it. You know, I'm curious about how the trauma and the abuse that you sustained, um, how it affected the way that you saw not just sex, like as an act, but who you were as a sexual woman.
3: As I mentioned, it was childhood sexual abuse that I experienced, which, um, I mean, trauma is trauma. It affects the body um, in many ways, and we all like we all know what trauma is. But I do think that there are some differences. Sometimes there, are, sometimes people say, for instance, that rape is about power, and don't know if it's true or not, because I I haven't been date raped, I wasn't grabbed down the street. What I tell people is that in my experience, while rape may be about power, sexual abuse felt like sex.
2: Mm.
3: And even though it wasn't what I wanted, and it wasn't pleasure, my body registered it as sensual and pleasure. And this would then go on to confuse me as I grew up and as I even um, would choose to have sexual partners because I would associate approaching pleasure or approaching a climax with the abuse. So there would always be guilt and shame associated with pleasure because that's what it felt like being abused as a kid. And that just... I mean, that sort of takes the fun away from
1: sex. Yeah, in a big way.
3: <laughs> so that was one of the ways it affected me. I just, I, I associated any kind of pleasure with, um, with shame. And part of my background includes being raised in um, a religious setting. And it was also a cult, one in which like the abuse was known. And also sometimes within religious settings and cultural settings, how we approach sexuality, it comes from a repressive uh, vantage point. right? Or women are seen as like the temptress and the Jezebels. And we have to make sure we're doing things not to lead the men astray. So when you tie that also into the abuse, like as a sexual person, I felt like um, everything was my fault and I I was dirty and I was damaged goods um, and and I needed to try to be as small and as quiet as possible.
1: So my next question was going to be like, because I was talking to Rachel in my last episode and she was talking about the trauma spell and I was curious about your trauma spell, like what your trauma spell looked like, but it kind of sounds like you already touched on that a little bit.
3: Yeah, that would go to some of what I spoke about. Like it was be small, be quiet, like don't draw any attention to yourself. Um, know your place. Uh, it's your fault. Pleasure is associated with, um, with darkness and shame. Um, so only like, disassociate from your body.
1: I know intimately what it's like to be in those situations and then feel the sense, especially when you're young, like not really understanding what happened to you until way later. And for me, it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I started to realize, like, wow, I had some really horrible, terrible experiences that have deeply damaged me. And I wonder if that was how it was for you, or if you knew kind of from the beginning that there was something more happening.
3: The abuse began when I was seven years old, and it ended when I was 14. And at seven years old, again, being in the religious setting, you don't even talk about sex, like the good stuff. All we knew was just that it was reserved for marriage. So when the abuse first started, I didn't even have a name for it. So I knew enough not to talk about it or like bring it up in any everyday conversation, but I didn't know what it was. And so I also assumed that this was just what happened in families because my family didn't talk about anything related to body and not just sex, just your body. um, My cycle began and I knew I couldn't go to my mom to talk about that. So I went to the library to read a book on like what to do with the fact that blood was coming out of my vagina. (laughs) And in reading the book, I kept reading and there was a chapter on sexual deviance and crimes and assault. And as I was reading it, that's when I like the light bulb went off. I was like, this is what ha- has been happening to me for five years. Like, I'm this person they're talking about. Like, I'm a victim of molestation and incest. I've been sexually assaulted. Like, there are words for what has been going on for five years. Hmm. My mother wasn't aware of of the abuse until she found out when I was 12 Um, because after reading this book in the library, I'm a writer. So I went back home and wrote in my journal that my stepfather sexually abused me. And she read the journal and she asked me if it was true. And that began this years of more sort of drama that happened. Um, The short version is that, we decided to forgive and forget at the at, um with the advice of our pastor at the time and because of that the abuse continued for two more years and eventually we we left him um and tried to pursue charges and such but um i found out that what was happening was abuse because i read it in a book hmm. You know, by the time I was 12, again, like I said, I knew it was abuse. But it was like once I was in college when it registered, for instance, that um, because I never had a boyfriend until college. So in college, I was like, oh, my goodness, like my first kiss was with my ex stepfather. Mm. And those were things I did have to I had to I had to acknowledge it and move through that.
1: What did that acknowledgement at that time for you look like?
3: at that time, it was just saying this did happen and it doesn't destroy me mm. because it could be this happened and now I can never experience the first kiss and that beautiful moment has been taken from me and like I could have taken it down like a more shadow side and internalized it and um, like just had no hope Whereas during this time in college, it was more of this happened and I can change my story. I can change my experiences moving forward because I can't change the past.
1: That is a really powerful response to something that is so big and so awful. I mean, I don't know if I could have had that response I know that I didn't have that response when it came to my sexual trauma it was very much like you know kind of that same continued narrative of I should be ashamed of myself I should ke- continue to keep myself small like I don't have any sexual power where did that sense of like empowerment to be like I don't know, I I guess, because what I'm hearing you say is like talking about reclamation, like you came from this place of acknowledging what happened and immediately from there it was, all right, now it's time to reclaim. I've acknowledged and now it's time to reclaim. I don't have to. This doesn't have to be like a death sentence. Where did that empowerment come from, if you can pinpoint that?
3: It came, I think, from different points, like the in college, I mean a lot of my um time in college I was depressed and still struggling as well, but I would I would have some moments of healing or clarity or reclamation. And one of the first instances of that was when I told both of my best friends in college about the abuse. Because up until that point, the only people who had known was my family or those involved in the court case um, or our community. But now I was in this entirely different environment. I could um, I could be this new person like no one knew my past and I never even had to address it even. But I mean, but it was still affecting me. And I'm sure both of my best friends wanted to know the why. Why was she depressed? Why wasn't she eating? Um, Why was she paranoid or not sleeping? And I told them my story. And even in the moment of just sharing my experience, I felt a weight lifted because I get stuck in my head. And my head can go to very dark places. And I just keep internalizing it. And in that moment, I, I felt lighter. And this doesn't work for everyone, not everyone wants to share their story. But for me, I felt a difference immediately after. About a year after I had told my both of my best friends, I told one of my guidance counselors in college, because I was really at my worst point yet. Like I went to him and and told him, I was like, I'm having a moment of clarity right now. But I am actively trying to take my own life. And if someone finds me. I want someone to know why. So I'm telling you. And he's like, whoa. Um, after we spoke for a while, I got up to leave his office and he said, uh, Sheena, now that I know more of you, there is more of you to love. Mm. And I was like, what? Wait, that's how that works? Because I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel like anyone saw me. I felt alone. Um I felt dirty. I felt like damaged goods. Like, you couldn't tell me anything different than the fact that I was poison and damaged goods. And this counselor had just said that by telling him some of my darkest things, he was able to love me more. And I was like, wow, is that how that works? Hmm. And of course, there were other things that that helped with that reclamation, but th- those would be the those are the first two things. Like sharing my story and physically seeing how someone was able to hold space for me more.
1: How incredibly healing to have someone hold that space for you in that way. That's beautiful. Yeah. So y- your old story about sex and sexuality was disassociative. It was telling you to stay small, it was this association with pleasure and guilt and you being damaged goods. I mean, just really, really heavy, heavy things. What did you do to begin to change that old story and step into a new story? And also, what was that new story for you?
3: So it was, I was probably around 21 years old and after college And this was after I had just a really bad year. And a huge part of that year was complacency with men. Um, Some people, maybe they were promiscuous, but I couldn't say I was promiscuous, but I was very complacent. And one of my best friends from college, he had passed away a few years before. And I, um, one morning I woke up next to a guy that I didn't even care about, didn't even really remember the sex, nor did I like it. And I realized it was on the anniversary of that best friend's death. And I was like, Sheena, what are you doing with your life? Like, not only did you dishonor him and his memory, you're dishonoring yourself. Like, you don't even want to be here right now. In fact, you don't even want to be alive right now. What are you doing? And I had this moment where I just thought I can either just die, or I have to find a different way to exist because I can't wake up like this anymore. So if I started going to therapy, and one of the exercises she had me do, um, she mentioned how she knows people have their list of what they want in a man or a woman. Um, And she said, instead of making that list, she said, I want you to make a list of what you want to feel and what you want to experience for yourself, like being a woman embodied, and with your lovers. What do you want to feel and what do you want to experience? So then it wasn't even like, what what do I feel when it happens? Because all that stuff is associated with the trauma and the past or complacency. She's asking, what do I want going forward? And I was like, okay, if this is Sheena trying to make a new version of herself and like all bets are off, I can do anything I possibly want because I'm already at rock bottom. What is it then?
0: Hmm.
3: And I started making that list. And and then I sought that out instead. Like when I was in a moment on a date or um, having sex with a partner, I was always like, that was always in the back of my mind of like, oh, I know that I love sensuality. I love seduction and the T's and X, Y, and Z. And I had to do check in with myself and be present and honest on, is that what I'm experiencing right now? I also, luckily enough, I had amazing partners who were doing different things that they didn't even know was healing. Um, I did this sort of work with my therapist while I was 21, 22, and I started dating someone exclusively at that time. And the very first time we had sex, he stopped after like 30 seconds and he said, open your eyes and look at me. I didn't even realize that for most of my life, I had my eyes closed during sex and because I was tied to the abuse. Mm -hmm. And he said, look at me, because that forced me again to be present. Like, I was choosing to have that moment with him. This was us. And he wanted me engaged with us the whole time. And I wanted that, too. I just didn't even realize I wasn't doing that. Mm. And that made, and, and like, on the inside, like, there's a the little girl in me was like, what? I can open my eyes? Why didn't anyone ever say that? <laughs> yeah. So those those are, like, some examples, I think. Did I answer your question? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's perfect. Okay. That's perfect. Um, And, you know... It's. I think it's awesome that you were able to not only have the support in your life to begin to have these explorations and and reclaiming your sexual power and creating new stories around sex and sexuality. I mean, I think it's so profound that you had that kind of space holding. I know, though, that that's not the standard narrative for most people, for most women who, who have been subject to sexual abuse and who are reeling from sexual traumas. It's really difficult to even pinpoint in those moments when you can feel your body or you can feel yourself leaving your body and your partner is looking at you and is trying to find you and you don't have the words to say, I'm not here. And this is the reason why, um, and how difficult that is for a lot of women to begin to pinpoint that to like to even feel like they can open their eyes. I mean, I think there's so and and that's where like sexual trauma and sexuality as a whole is so different from person to person.
3: It's so true. I had I also had one lover who and this had never happened before. But we we'd already progressed to being in his home and our clothes are off and um and then he asked if he could kiss me. Now up until that point, any other date or sexual encounter I was on, now that I was on my healing journey, um, had been consensual. Like I wanted it and like you know and you lean in to kiss on the first date and it's great. And this was no exception except before he kissed me. He asked if he could. And I'm like, why does he need to ask? Like, we're here, I'm naked now. Um, and and I said, yes. And then he, every time in that uh, specific sexual encounter, he asked if he could do everything. Mm. If he could kiss my hand, if he could kiss my shoulder. Um, and I remember in the moment just being like, well, this is different. But Now I realize, again, it brought me back to being present and I had to be engaged and I had to choose. Did I want this moment? Did I want him to kiss my shoulder or did I want him to touch somewhere else? Or do I now want him to stop? And where do I want to kiss him? Should I ask permission of him? And I just, I've had a few lovers who are there where maybe just in one instance, they'll ask something like that or do that sort of check-in. And I realized I I like that too. Hmm. I just, I think that's a beautiful moment, even when you already know the answer is yes.
1: Yeah, there's something very positive and beautiful about doing that check-in, about even having your partner initiate those sorts of check-ins for you, I think it's even more powerful for you to ask, like to give yourself permission to request that from your partner and say, hey, for sex tonight, before you do anything, before you touch me, I want you to ask first. I think that by doing that kind of asking and and by also checking in, it it helps the the entire act of sex feel completely consensual and I love that you're talking about this idea of checking in because I know that when it comes to sex things just get kind of crazy and you know we're kind of we're flooded with emotions and and endorphins and hormones and we're just not really thinking about a step-by-step basis it's just like you know sort of from zero to 60 in a lot of areas. And it can be really difficult Mm -hmm. to slow down and ask yourself, especially for people who have had traumatic sexual experiences, like, okay, this is, is this what I want? Am I cool with this? What What advice would you give to someone though who maybe, I don't know, feels a little... Weirded out or nervous about asking for that kind of permission, like asking for their partners to check in with them, asking for their partners to create a consensual sexual relationship with them so that they feel comfortable to reclaim their sexualities.
3: I May mean, I think, because when I think about asking someone for permission, that leads me to say that these conversations also begin long before you're even having sex with the partner. But there are some people who also wouldn't even feel comfortable having those conversations. And so what do you do before then? And that involves um, becoming comfortable with having those conversations with yourself, Mm -hmm. even long before you're dating or in a sexual relationship? Like, do you know what you want and what pleases you and what you're okay with and what you're not? Like, have you had those conversations with yourself? Because I think sometimes we go into situations not even knowing what our own boundaries are until they've been crossed. And then we're triggered or we've experienced more trauma or something and so having those conversations with ourselves first i think is important and sometimes those conversations aren't just like writing in your journal or thinking about it Uh, one way i had the conversation with myself was also you know because my body was so tied to the trauma and i had disassociated my body from my mind and pleasure was bad Um, I had to get back in touch with my body, and that meant doing different physical things, whether it was a dance class or I took a kickboxing class or uh, a candle-making workshop, just anything that, like, brought me back into my body. But specifically with dance, I've for years I've taken sensual movement and that could include anything from pole dancing to floor work to lap dance. And this ties back to having conversations with myself because I was having conversations with my body. And some of the studios that I would go to, they encouraged you to touch your body or to only move in ways that were full of pleasure. Like if you felt pain, stop. You're not training for the Olympics. Like this is a class for you to take up as much space as you can and be as full of yourself as you can. Only pleasure exists here. Mm. And when I would do that and explore those movements, that's when I realized certain things about my body, what places I love to be touched that I didn't even know. because where else was I exploring this on my own anyway? And the more I got comfortable and found areas of pleasure and sensuality for myself, those conversations, be, I became more comfortable having those conversations with my lovers. I had one lover who asked me last year, and this was a new one, like every, every encounter is an opportunity for ongoing growth and healing and transformation. Um, at the beginning of our dating uh, relationship, he asked me, What do you want our sexual journey to be? What? Who asked that on the first (laughs) date? Like, (laughs) I just had never been asked that before because that's different than like, I don't know, what kind of sex do you like? Or what are your kinks? Or, you know, what do you want our sexual journey to be is a very specific type of question. And when he asked that first, I was like, well, what do I want my sexual journey to be just as a woman, as a person? And then what do I want it to be with him? Mm. I didn't have an answer for him right away because I was like, I want to think about this. Like, this is the first time I've been asked and I'm going to answer this thoroughly. It took five months. Like we kept dating and we had sex by then. But five months later, I wrote him like the six page letter of what I wanted our sexual journey to be. (laughs) And now it's like, oh, it's a wonderful guide for me to also, again, check in with myself. Like, what do I want to experience? Like, what is going to make me feel good, feel the most alive? Because I know what it feels like to want to die. Mm. I, I know that feeling so well. I know what it feels like to feel like I'm poison, damaged goods, that I'm not good enough, that I'm dirty. I know it so well. Like, I could go back to it in an instant if I chose it. And I'm like, well, what what does the opposite feel like? Where I just wake up and I love my body and that energy is just tingling all over. What's gonna bring me closer to that? And I always told myself during my healing process, if like experiencing pleasure and living my life to the fullest doesn't work, I'll go back to being depressed, like that's always there. Mm. I, I can I can check back into that place in an instance if this isn't working out for me. And it's been like six years later and it just keeps getting better.
1: I love that you're talking about knowing yourself, having these conversations with yourself about what you want, what who you wanna be as a sexual woman, how you want sex to feel for you. Because I think as survivors of sexual trauma and abuse, we can feel so powerless because we've had our sexual power taken away from us. And I think that by asking those questions, by getting very clear about how do we want to feel in sex? How do we want to be touched? How do we want to see pleasure? How do we want to um, see our sexual bodies? I mean, those are ways that we're rewriting and creating a new story around sex. It's very empowering, very empowering
3: another thing i had to do because you know there are different um sort of like side effects or after effects that people experience due to sexual trauma and and for each person it's different whether you can't sleep at night or you don't trust or you dissociate there's different things and one of the things i realized for me was that i wouldn't let people in anymore like i kept people at a distance and I realized it was because I struggled with vulnerability. And the reason why I struggled with it was because I equated it to um, being a victim and to being weak. Mm. And because, so in order to let people into your life, allow them to see you, to hold space for you, to love you, to bring you to bliss, um, a part of that means being vulnerable. And I had to even sort of separate out those terms for myself. I had to find a more empowered view of vulnerability and keep that separate from Sheena, who was a victim as a child. And that took quite some work. But then once I did that, even that paradigm shift, I was like, ah, now I can choose to let someone in.
0: Mm.
3: Like, I've set my own boundaries. I know what's okay and what's not for me. I know who I am and what I want to experience. And now I can choose this person and let them in. And that doesn't make me weak. That's coming from a place of power mm. to choose that.
1: Yeah, I want to talk more about that power, about your sexual power. I mean, you you talked about how sensual dance was a way that you connected to your body after trauma and as a way of healing. But I wonder, like, how has sensual dance helped you reclaim yourself? And what has it helped reclaim in yourself?
3: I think that just as a culture and the world, we always look to repress and downplay sexuality and eroticism, especially for women. We're told, be a good girl, right. close your legs, you know, all those things. And, you know, somehow by doing this, you're going to find the perfect partner and have this great life and be pure. All, all these things about being a good woman and a good girl and really like we're being told to play small be small and compliant and um, let other people control you and tell you how you have to view yourself and live your life for dance like the first time I went into dance class my teacher said let your body take up space I couldn't remember the last time someone ever told me that If I'm taking the subway, I have to be small so people can sit next to me. If I'm at work and my shirt is a certain way, I need to quickly, you know, fix my bra strap because they don't want that showing. And, And there's all these things. We're making all these adjustments to be proper and to be okay to fit within some parameters of society. And I went into this class and they said, let your body take up space. Wear what you want. Only do things that feel good. And... While I think some things have their time and their place, like I I shouldn't wear like sequins booty shorts to work. (laughs) It's just not the place for it. (laughs) Um, And then there's just others where people are just trying to repress you, even though I feel like you should have that freedom. It was good to have a safe space to be all of me that was outside of my bedroom. Because, like, that's the other thing. People say, well, that should be reserved for the bedroom. Those are conversations you have in private. Like, be quiet. You know, maybe for me, when I hear, like, reserve that for the bedroom, again, maybe that triggers, like, yeah, but, like, my bedroom was where the abuse happened. I need to be able to talk beyond my bedroom. Right. And so it was great to go to a studio where I was with other women. Who were all in the same space as me, either cheering me on or cheering the others on, and supporting one another. And they're just saying, "Be as big as possible." And even that gave me like so much uh, encouragement and power because I just even now I have very small or like limited spaces where I can do that, where I can just throw on some sequins, booty shorts, a cute bra, and heels, and like crawl on the floor whether in an aggressive manner or sensual manner, like, where else can we do that? I can't do that at the craft party or the movie theater, (laughs) or when I go home for Thanksgiving dinner. And it was good that there were, I found places where like, there was this sort of sacred sanctuary of women doing this kind of work.
1: Yeah, it sounds like sensual dance, and particularly like things like pole dancing. And is that what you were doing? When you were there, was it pole dancing or was it something else?
3: It was pole dancing, floor work. um, It was a blend of all different types. Yeah. Yeah, but all sensual and erotic movement.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like sensual dance allowed you the space you needed. To explore what it would look like for you to not only be a sexual, sensual woman, but also move like her, embody her in a way that is safe and doesn't objectify you. Because I think that can be like... And that is one of the hardest things about being a sexual woman is wanting to feel our sexual power and wanting to express that erotic power in public or, you know, in in, in spaces that aren't confined and, you know, sanctioned like our bedrooms or in our homes. Um, there can be, I mean, it's it's terrifying to put yourself out there because you could get certain looks and you can get certain attention that you don't want, especially if you are a survivor of sexual abuse and trauma. So I love this idea of sensual dance and a dance studio and pole dancing being kind of like a sacred temple for you to find yourself and uncover the the erotic in you in your own time and in your own space. And that's actually one of the reasons why I took pole dancing because I wanted to see okay so what is this all about like what is it what is this like sexual sensual woman who can like twerk her booty in the mirror fearlessly (laughs) who is that and is that someone that I can be and I loved going into the studio because it helped me feel really comfortable with who I am And also helped shed a lot of these really dumb beliefs I had about who the sexual woman is and how maybe I can be that.
3: Yeah. And the way I, I took it even further was that I felt the afterglow after classes. For like an hour, there was just this, I called it a lingering erotic energy. And, you know, if I had a date after class, it was great because I was like, I could direct that energy to him. Or if I needed to create something, like if I needed to write an article or something, I found I was able to use that energy. And so I began wondering, like, how can I use this energy for the rest of my life or in all the areas of my life? Like I, I know that it's powerful. I know that it, it like makes me feel good, and like this is okay to feel. So how can I use it in the other areas of my life, in the conversations? Can I channel that sensual energy and use it in some sort of powerful way for even business, right? Like I, I once wrote a blog post called Bringing Your Vixen to the Boardroom mm-hmm. or something. And it wasn't, like, you know, hair flip your way to a raise, but it was, like, connecting some of the dots, knowing that in a dance class, in order to, like, be before people and to move in that way and to let them see you, your imperfections, your whatever, like, that took courage and bravery and risk. And so I was like, then how can I use courage and bravery and risk in the boardroom? And so I started trying to explore that, like beyond just, oh, I feel sexy, so now I'm going to like have a yummy date. But how can I have these conversations? Because I touched my upper thigh in class, and that felt good, and I want to say that to my lover. I want him to do that next. Or I had this great experience, and I want to have these conversations with others, because I also didn't want to just limit it to the studio, because then it would become the bedroom again. Like, Sheena, you can be all of yourself, but only in this space. Mm. I was like, I want to be all of myself everywhere, however I choose to be, which comes with its risks, like you said, like, people look at you a certain way, they say things, like, for me, I, I am a blogger, I'm a vlogger, I Instagram, and I talk about all these things from sexual abuse to eroticism to my date nights, and sometimes I get labeled as the Black Jezebel, I, I get those looks in the comments or, like, you're too out there or you shouldn't say those things. Like, there there's a small percentage of people who are not happy with the work that I do. They think I'm being inappropriate or the things I'm saying are bad for children or whatever it might be. So I get it because I brought it out of the dance studio and out of the bedroom and um, but but it's important. Yeah. It needs to be said out loud.
1: Absolutely. I agree. I think that I mean, it's probably very true that the people who have disparaging words to say about your work are themselves triggered in their own ways. But I I'm of the belief that these are things that need to be brought out of the darkness and into the light because a good majority of us are dealing with them. And I think it's super courageous for women like you to do this work, to take sexual power out of the confines of the bedroom and bring it in and channel it in to other areas of your life as a source of power, as as a radical statement of self-love and self-care. I wanted to know cuz I I hear this a lot from from my clients from women who follow my work who have been sexually traumatized that it's hard for them like they're they feel like they've healed through the trauma. They feel like, you know, they've done the therapy, they have read the books, you know, they've they've done the inner work to get themselves to a place of not having flashbacks, of being able to have sex in a pretty good way but the one thing that I hear from them is that it's hard for them to associate sex with something positive it still resonates like sex still resonates as something charged as something negative as something big and maybe scary and I wondered like how did you manage to associate sex like the act of sex with something positive
3: I, I did the same things where, like, I read the books and I did all the things. And I think for me, it was, I realized there was something to sex because historically we keep attacking it. Like, there had to be some ridiculous, amazing, world-changing power associated with, like, a sexually liberated woman for it to for centuries be what we keep trying to diminish and repress and because of that, like, I, I wanted to dig deeper and explore it because I associated with, like, the, it was charged and it just there was some anxiety. And mm-hmm. and I just wondered, like, there has to be something beyond this then. Like, why do they keep attacking our bodies and trying to take our own pleasure away and telling us how to view it? And that also led to its own um Uh, additional readings. For instance, like there is this one book called um, Who Cooked the Last Supper? And it's a book on women's history. And the other one was called Scandalous Women. And both those books just sort of took like a historical approach to women. And a lot of it dealt with sexuality as well. And I accepted the fact that like, sex was good and powerful. And that was why there was so much um, negativity associated with it. Mm. That's why it was taboo. And that's why people wanted to control it. Because there, there is so much goodness and potential there. Like being liberated and fully embodied, it, it does literally change the world. Like, when I think of, like, what makes us human, all the bits, like, our relationships, spirituality, creativity, our connection to nature, our purpose and passion, and all those things, like, what's included in that is sexuality, sensuality, and eroticism. And it's like, why won't they let us be whole? Like, what happens if all those pieces are in place?
0: Mm.
3: And so I kind of just have to change my mind on it, like, it's like, I know I feel charged and I know there's anxiety, but now what I know to be true is that there is power in this, a power that can, like, transform my life. And I don't have to be scared of it. Like, everybody else is, whoever this else is, the man, the, the, your society, religion, whoever, like, they are afraid of me owning this. I don't know why for them, but because of that, I am going to own it. I'm going to do whatever work. Like, if I feel anxiety, if I feel triggered right now in this encounter, then what else do I need to do? Like, then maybe just don't touch my toes. Like, just keep touching my neck. Right? Like, just stay there for an hour then and let me melt with pleasure. Because there is something to this that they don't want me to know, and I'm going to find out.
1: Mm. And that is so fucking radical. Like, rather than succumbing to these beliefs that sex is something that you should be ashamed of, sex is something that should be hidden, saying like, no, Mm -hmm. there is something incredibly powerful here. There has to be because they keep trying to take it away from me. I'm going to claim it as mine. That's huge. That's huge. And so inspiring. And that,
3: I mean, honestly, a big part of my healing, like the first step, it was that I had to change my mind. Like a lot, how we live our lives, like a lot of that is influenced by what we believe, what what our filters are, and what our perspective and worldviews are. Those affect how we speak, how we act, the lives we live, the people in, in our lives. And so many of like my worldview was tied to you know, being the good girl, and how I should behave, and the shame and the guilt and all those things, and like hide yourself. And I had to like change the whole my whole paradigm of thinking. I had to like ask myself, what if I like took away all those notions and started from a blank slate? What do I want to believe? What do I know to be true? What am I curious about based on what I've experienced? my travels conversations i've had like do i truly want to believe women should play small or you know you should i don't know have sex after 90 days or whatever the people's different rules are do i do i really care about that do i believe that no no i like him i want to have sex on the second date i want to have sex right now so i it it, a lot of that starts
1: in the mind and like man, I'm just thinking like how that's great news. (laughs) Like it's great news that like you can like, there's no special book that you have to buy or there's no special pill that you have to take. That's like a thousand dollars in order for you to get that. But like the, the imperative is on you, but there's also something very terrifying about that. Like, Oh, so you need to tell me that like I can find sexual liberation and feel sexual power just because I decide that I am worthy of that, like that's both radical and fucking terrifying. <laughs> and terrifying.
3: <laughs> Extreme because you know what else that does? You have to take full responsibility for your life. Yeah. Like you have to own it all. Because and that's the thing, like for me as a kid, I was a victim. I didn't I didn't choose that. I didn't have control over it. But then once I was out of that situation, the rest of my life was mine. And if I chose to change my mind and make a choice of how I wanted to live my life, it meant I had to take full responsibility for it. And I was like, ooh, do I want to do that? But for me, I couldn't give my power to anyone else anymore.
1: Yeah. So what advice would you give to a woman who is feeling this urge, maybe she's listening now and she's feeling this urge like, okay, I think it's time for me to take responsibility for my sexuality, for my sexual experience and identity, to have sexual agency. What advice would you give her at this moment?
3: One of the first things I tell people is that they should go on a pleasure hunt. They should explore those different questions of like, what makes me feel good? What do I want to experience right now? And one way to do that is even to go through all of our senses. Like, what do I like to taste? What do I like to see and to hear and to touch and to smell? And those things aren't directly related to sex, but they connect to being a sexual being and a sensual being. And then you go beyond the senses. And like I said, you look at like, what makes me feel alive? What feels good to my body? So I did like a transformation of my entire life. I was like, why, why am I using like this, like generic brand of soap? I want I want something luxurious and something that smells good, because when I take a shower, I want it to be like like a goddess is bathing. That is what I want, because that feels good. And when I eat, I don't want to just throw something together like I want to have a feast. I want like my food to be so good that I am moaning because why would I want anything less than that? And when I'm with my friends, I want people who are bringing energy into my life, who bring light into my life. If I'm like, oh God, I gotta hang with so and so tonight again, you know how she is. Like, why, why waste my time if it doesn't feel good and bring light into my life? And it was the same with men. It was like I was so complacent. So I was like, what, what do I, what do I want to experience when I'm with these men that I want? Who do I want? Like, let me go on a pleasure hunt for him. Mm. And that's just my constant life is, like, where else can I experience pleasure and how can I have it, like, to the 10th degree? Going on this pleasure hunt, it brings you back to being present. And, and I harp on that so much because I know how easy it is for me to disassociate, to have the flashbacks, to connect something in the present and just be triggered. So I'm like, I need to be present now because right now I'm Sheena and I'm 31 and I made the choice to be here in New York and I'm okay and I'm free and I'm a survivor and I'm thriving. So in the here and now, what do I want? And when you're exploring pleasure in your senses, All that stuff brings you back to being present. And that brings you then to being mindful. And it brings you back to knowing that you're choosing this moment right now. Did you choose the moment you're in right now or did you just sort of happen in it? Because your choice, like if you were, whether it happened when you were a kid or whenever, like your choices were taken, they decided for you. And so my advice is for you to make a choice every day of what you want to experience.
1: So before I let you go, I would love to ask you a few rapid fire questions that kind of speak to who you are as a sexually liberated woman and also like, you know, just break it up a little bit because we've been talking about some heavy stuff. So so I absolutely want to leave. I want to leave on a really, really high note. I'm excited. Cool. So describe your last orgasm in a word.
3: Transformative.
1: Hmm. If your sexual energy were an animal, what would it be? A wolf. Oh, I've heard this one before. Tell me why.
3: Wolves are hunters. And that goes back to choosing.
1: Oh,
2: yes.
3: Yes. And they are calculating. They are decisive. They are intuitive. They're sensual. They're primal. I I love wolves. I am part wolf.
1: Hmm. Perfect. I love that so much. Who are your erotic muses?
3: My erotic muses? uh, Esther Perel, Mm. Susie Bright, and well, those would be my top two.
1: And they have really, really great books. I highly recommend Mating in Captivity, which is by um, Esther Perel and full exposure, which is by Susie Bright. I love those books. They're so good.
3: I love those too. Yes. Oh, the other one is Gina Ogden.
1: Oh, this is one I haven't heard of.
3: Yes. um, she wrote a Return to Desire. Mm, okay? Yes, and that book is amazing.
1: What is one song that helps you get in the mood?
3: Right now, it is it's called Permission. And I don't I have to look up quickly the who sings it. So it's a guy named Roe James. And because of dance, I'm always looking for new music to dance yeah. to. And I'm really on this kick right now with people asking permission. And I love that song. It's so sexy.
1: What is your opinion of the term making love?
2: <laughs> 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 that
1: said it off. <laughs>
3: I you know what I think that sex is sex and the way that we touch someone the intent can be different Um, a lover can touch me aggressively they can touch me uh, with a sense of discovery it could be healing Um, it could be loving the way we express the sex can change and everything I do is of love so you know, cause some people say, you know, fucking versus making love, like, it's all an expression of my sex, and I'm never not in the love.
1: What is the best sex advice you've ever been given?
3: <laughs> it was the grip. Like, when a woman I can relax and then squeeze her, her walls.
1: Oh, so like, like doing Kegel exercises.
3: Mm-hmm. But I had a discussion with friends, and one was like, "You can even not just grip his penis." She was like, "Have you ever gripped a tongue?" Oh. What? Gonna add that to the bucket list.
1: Um, same. I'm going to try that tonight. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and and it's but like and I tell like so I reference the men I date as wolves, and I was like, "Ladies with the grip, you can turn a wolf into a pup."
1: I love that. <laughs> Ugh, yum. Okay, last question. Who are you as a sexually liberated woman?
3: Who am I as a sexually liberated woman? I'm free. It's really that simple. I I am absolutely free.
1: Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us some very personal, important things about who you are and where you've been and where you are today. Your story is so inspirational, and I just really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today.
3: Oh, you're welcome. I just thank you so much. Like, I am humbled and honored that I was asked to be a part.
1: Tell us where the people can find you if they want to hear more about you and your work.
3: Yes, so they can find me on my website, which is SheenaLachey.com. Almost everything that I do is there. That's where you'll find all things Sheena.
1: Thank you so much, Sheena, for taking the time.
3: You're welcome. You're so welcome.
1: Thank you for listening to the Sexually Liberated Woman podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it with the friends or leave a five-star review on iTunes. As for me, Evian, you can find me on my blog, sexloveliberation.com, where I write essays about sex, sensuality, and erotic power. I'm also on Instagram at evian.whitney, that's E-V-Y-A-N period W-H-I-T-N-E-Y, where I'm capturing moments of brazen femininity and sexuality throughout the day. And if you want to be a sexually liberated woman, go to sexloveliberation.com SLW and maybe I'll be chatting with you about your journey of erotic empowerment someday. I love and miss you already and I'll talk to you really, really soon. Bye.